Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Can I say to you, you would be, and take this the right way, no offence, but you would be a fool if you didn't accept that offer. If you're going to listen to someone speak about something that is new and perhaps revolutionary, you want to know that they have credibility and authority to speak on the issue. You'd be dubious about giving your attention to a builder's labourer who sprouts economic theory, wouldn't you? In the New Testament of the Bible, Paul is doing battle with people who are discrediting him and trying to distract believers from the truth of the gospel. Does he have credibility and authority to preach the truth of the gospel? We'll find out tonight as Dr. Corbett continues in the book of Galatians to explore a revelation of Christ. Father, we pray that as a result of us being here, giving heed to your word, our attention to your word would be an act of worship. And that, Lord, you would help me to pastor these people, to shepherd these people with your heart through the truth of your word and help me, Lord, to convey that truth in a way that brings freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from whatever their misgivings about the future might be, that, Lord, today you would set people free. So now, Lord, I need your help to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I've mentioned that Paul's epistle to the Galatians has literally changed the course of human history. It was Martin Luther who was a, a, a German monk who had an encounter with God on a road, a stormy night, where lightning and thunder was happening and it struck the carriage and it scared the living daylights out of him. And in that thought, as Michael just said, in that thought that he could have died in that moment, he surrendered his life to God and instead of becoming the lawyer that he was hoping, and his parents were certainly hoping him to be, he surrendered his life to God as a monk and went into a monastery. He struggled in the monastery because he, he always thought, if ever I sin and I die, I could go to hell right then and there. And this was his greatest fear. And so the medieval church had a lot of superstitions around that time. And one of them at that time was the, the need to confess every sin. And there's two categories of sin. For those who are Catholics, you'll know this, that there's the sin that can be forgiven, that's called venial sins, and there's the other sins that you need to really work at being forgiven. And that work at being forgiven includes doing certain religious things that maybe you might find that forgiveness. That's the teaching. Martin Luther would go into the confessional several times a day because he was so aware that he just thought a bad thought or he'd said something wrong or he'd done something wrong or he hadn't done something and he wanted to confess it. Eventually he wore the poor priest out in the other side of the confessional who thought, look, just stop it. <laughs> and so he thought, I can't stop sinning. I haven't got any hope. If I sin and I don't confess it, I could go to hell. And then one day he read Galatians. And he realised everything he'd been taught about being made right with God was rubbish. It did not agree with what the Bible said. 
And when he read what the Apostle Paul told the Galatians, it transformed his life. And he was utterly convinced that the Pope was completely unaware that this guy, Tesla, whatever his name was, who came in and was selling certificates of forgiveness called indulgences. And not just for your sin, but as a fundraising exercise, as it turns out, to build St Paul's in Rome, that they were, they were saying you could buy forgiveness for loved ones who are in purgatory. In fact, the more money you put in to buy these indulgences, the more forgiven they would be. Now, it sounds ridiculous, and I hope it does sound ridiculous, but that's what was being taught at that time. And Martin Luther was convinced that the Pope knew nothing about this. And if he only knew about it, he would be mortified and he would send someone in to correct this false teaching. And so he actually thought, I'll write that one down. I'll put it on the wall of the Wittenberg University door, which was the chapel at that time. And what I'll do is I'll have, I'll just put a few more things down. Well, the few more things ended up being 95 things that he said were wrong, that were being taught that were just wrong according to what the scripture actually said. And so here we have Martin Luther nailing, they're called 95 discussion points, and a discussion point was called a thesis, a 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg. And I've been to that door. Uh, that, those 95 theses are no longer there anymore. And uh, in fact, that door's not there anymore. That door apparently was burnt down as well. And so what we have is the Roman Catholic Church responding by ordering Martin Luther to come to a heresy trial. They accused him of being a heretic because he believed what Paul said to the Galatians. And so as he was summoned to come, he, he was now convinced salvation was not because a man in a box on the other side of a cage said you were forgiven. Salvation was because Jesus Christ took your sin upon himself paid the price for your guilt, sin and shame by going to the cross, rose from the dead and defeated sin and death and he now offers you complete pardon if you trust him that that is what he's done for you. He, and Martin Luther believed it. He wrote pamphlets about it. He sent it by the thousands and people were reading this going, if this is right, everything I've been taught is wrong. And that resulted in this trial of Martin Luther in Wittenberg. And it was just a few years ago that Kim and I were in Wittenberg getting a tour of, of the church where Martin Luther was and the, and the town. And so here we have Martin Luther standing before the cardinal saying, will you recant this heresy that salvation is by faith in Christ alone? And it would be interesting... It would be thrilling if I could tell you Martin Luther said, yes, I do. But there were men with weapons of death lined around that room ready to kill him in some of the meanest ways if he said he didn't recant. And so Martin Luther said, your grace, 
Can I have a day to think about it? In other words, he was human. He went away. He prayed. And my recollection is that Christ's word, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father, gripped his soul. That next morning, he stood before the cardinal and the officers of the church and he said, here I stand. I cannot recant. I can do no other. And with that, thank God for a bloke by the name of Frederick, Prince Frederick, who became known as Prince Frederick the Protector whisked Martin Luther out of that room and took him to his castle and protected him so that he couldn't be killed. Today, we are here because Martin Luther said, I do not recant. I can do no other except stand on the word of Christ. And so we are now looking at this epistle that literally changed the course of human history because what happened as a result of that is that Martin Luther under the protection of Prince Frederick, was able to write pamphlets and books. And this information went around Europe and more and more people began to see that the scripture says salvation was not because a man on the other side of a box behind a cage could tell you, if you just did this, said so many certain Hail Marys, prayed the rosary, paid penance or did whatever, you might be saved. In fact, no, you could be made right with God by trusting that when Jesus Christ said, I give my life as a ransom for you, you believe it. That when he went to that cross, he was taking the wrath of God on himself, the wrath that we deserve. And he paid the price for us. And now, if your next heartbeat is your last and you stand before God and you stand there ready to be judged by God and God looks at the, at the list of everything you've done that deserves his wrath and he says, you're a sinner who deserves eternal condemnation. And before he pronounces judgment, can you imagine Jesus coming over and saying, Father, let me talk to you. And he hands his passport and he says, I'll give you this. You'll have complete access to everything that is mine. Having this that I give you, you will be as innocent as I am for eternity. And let me take that rap sheet and I'll pay the price that you can't pay. I'll go into the realm of eternity from the cross and pay for your sin, guilt and shame. What do you say? Can I say to you, you would be, and take this the right way, no offence, but you would be a fool if you didn't accept that offer. And not a little fool, a great fool. Because it is the offer of a lifetime. And right now, you can transact that very thing. I saw the weirdest thing I think I've ever seen in my life this week. Apart from Kim. It was a man by the name of Richard who, at the age of nine, contracted scarlet fever. He and his sister contracted scarlet fever. As he battled with that disease, doctors could do nothing. And this is sort of in the 19, uh, uh, late 1940s, not early 1950s. And he lost his sight. It went from partially blind over the next few months. He became completely blind. 
Now you might think, well, what's the weird bit about that? You haven't finished the story yet. Hear this. As he went blind through his teenage years, he was determined to not let anyone know. I don't know how you do that. But he said he had someone who taught him how to listen in a way that unlike turning your ear to the person, you could turn your eyes to the person, look at them and show them appropriate facial expressions so that they would never know you were blind. Added to that, he met someone who was a card magician. Now, how on earth a blind he became completely blind in his early teenage years, how a card magician could impress a blind man with his card tricks, I have no idea. As it turns out, this card magician said to this young man, Richard, I'll teach you to do some card tricks so that people will really think you're not blind. And he did. In fact, he taught him some of the most extraordinary tricks with playing cards. And today, Richard is considered the best card magician in the world. And he's completely blind. And I heard him say this. He said, when I realised I would never get my sight back, I became hypersensitive in hearing and touch. But he said, something else strange happened. I began to see things in my mind. And he said, I'm telling you, it's as real as if I had eyesight. I can hear people talk and I can begin to see them in my mind. I can see the colours, I can see the shape, I can see things. Now, I'm telling you this because sometimes we as Christians know the impulsive thing that when we begin to pray, as Julie beautifully said this morning, sometimes the most natural thing we feel to do when we pray is to do what with our eyes? Close them. Because sometimes the only time you can actually really see what's going on is when you close your eyes. Because we live in a realm... That is more than what people think this realm is, just what you can touch and see with your eyes. And I heard this man say that and I thought, he has tapped into something that every human soul has the capacity to do. It is to see what's really there. Not what the eye tells you is there, but what's really there. He can hear phenomenally. And I think, I remember hearing Billy Graham, the young boy, say, I want to talk to you in a way that you listen with your other ears. I'm thinking, other ears? What other? And he said, the ears that no human eye can see. But the ears of the soul, let me speak into your soul. And I'm asking you now, will you let me do that to you as well? May you see things and hear things? that don't come through your eye gate or your ear gate, as John Bunyan described it. Because what Martin Luther discovered was a freedom in Christ that came from what Paul wrote in this epistle to the Galatians, a freedom in Christ that said, you no longer have to live in condemnation. You no longer have to live with this fear. Have I done enough to be made right with God? Because if you give your life to Christ, if you surrender your life to Christ, if you accept what Jesus said by faith, in other words, by trust, you can have eternal life beginning right now and you can begin to see things that you never thought you would see. 
and hear the voice of God. Not in an audible way, but in a way much better to audible. So, with that in mind, I want to set the scene. I want to set the scene by recommending, in fact, there's a whole host of resources I could recommend on how to understand Paul's epistle to the Galatians. But I do want to recommend this guy, Tom Wright. Tom, whenever he writes for a a, um, popular audience, he goes by the name Tom Wright. Whenever he writes for people like me, it's N.T. Wright. And they're not that thin. They're like that thick. But when he writes for people in English that most people can understand, it's books like this, Tom Wright. He sets up Galatians by describing why Paul wrote this. It is such beautiful wordsmithing, I want to share it with you. Because in this wordsmithing, he describes that Paul had established the church, then he got ill. He got very ill. Paul says this in Galatians about his illness and this has led scholars to wonder, hang on, we we, we read Luke's account in the book of Acts when he went to Galatia and Luke makes no reference to Paul being ill and that simply tells us this, the Bible doesn't tell us everything, it tells us everything we need to know. On a need-to-know basis, we can read that Paul went to Galatia, he preached, they were converted, churches were planted. We read in Acts that Paul went back to Galatia and he did it again and then we read in Acts chapter 15 that there was a problem and the problem was the very reason Paul wrote Galatians and the problem was this Paul was not well he'd gone people began to say to the Galatians you can't trust Paul he's lied to you you don't want to trust him a man like that He has no authority. We have the authority. They claim that they came from James, the half-brother of Jesus. And they said, is there any higher authority than the very blood relationship of the apostle who's related to our Lord and Saviour Jesus? And James says, don't listen to Paul. James says, Paul's telling you, you just have to put your faith in Christ. James tells us, no, you Gentiles, you people who were not born a Jew, you have to become a Jew first. And all you men, line up, we've got to circumcise you in order for you to become a true Jew. And you women, you now got to put your head coverings on, you've got to keep all these laws that every other Jewish woman's got to keep. In other words, you have to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. And then Paul, in the midst of his illness, heard about this he heard about the betrayal that was happening among those who should not have done what they did and N.T. Wright puts it this way imagine you're in South Africa in the 1970s apartheid is at its height you are embarked on a risky project to build a community centre where everybody will be equally welcome no matter what their colour or their race. You've designed it, you've laid the foundation in such a way that only the right sort of building can be built. Or so you think, says N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright. You are called away urgently on another part of the, to another part of the country and a little later you get a letter, a new 
group of builders are building on your foundation. They have changed the, the, the design, are installing two meeting rooms with two front doors, one for whites only and one for blacks only. Some of the local people are mightily relieved about this. They always thought there was always going to be trouble if you put everyone together in one room. Others, though, asked the builders, what was wrong with the original plan that the Apostle Paul had? Oh, said the builders, airily, that chap who laid the foundation, he had some funny ideas. He didn't really have permission to make that design. He got it a bit muddled. Now, we're from the real authorities. We have authority on what the church is supposed to look like. This is how it's got to be. Now, says Tom Wright, imagine you're in central South Turkey during the reign of Caesar Emperor Claudius. Most of the town worship one or the other local gods or goddesses and several of them claim loyalty of particular racial groups. Some have started to worship the emperor himself. And with him, the power of Rome, and this was a significant, and there was a significant minority of Jews with their own synagogue. They are threatened by the growing power of the imperial cult, that is, worship of Caesar, on top of the usual pagan idolatry and wickedness. And into this town comes a funny little Jew called Paul. Paul's project is, he often says, building, but he's building with people. Not with bricks and mortar. He lays foundations for this building by telling people some news which is so good it's shocking. According to Paul, there's one God, the world's creator. Every Jew already believed this and this one God has now unveiled his long-awaited plan for the world. The unveiling took place in a Jew called Jesus. Paul says that this Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, a kind of king to end all kings, which sounds like a challenge to the claim of the Caesar. Jesus was executed by the Romans. This is what they did, sure enough, because anyone who claimed to be people's kings, they executed. But Paul says that the true God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the beginning of the good news, and it doesn't stop there. According to Paul, Jesus' death and resurrection means that this God is now building a new family, a single family, a family with no divisions, no separate races or skin colours, no one table for Jews and another for the Gentiles. Nonsense. Jews believed that when the Messiah came, he would be Lord of all the world. So Paul argues he'd have to have just one family, and though this family is the fulfilment of what this God has promised to the Jews, the remarkable thing is that because of Jesus, you don't have to be a Jew to belong. The God of Israel wants to be known as Father by the whole world. So with this good news, Paul laid the foundation of people building in central South Turkey, and then he has moved on. And then he hears the bad news. Other people builders have come in. Oh, they've said Paul didn't really know what he was doing. He won't be around much longer anyway. He could get into trouble for this kind of thing. In any case, Paul just got his funny ideas by being muddled up about other things that people had said to him. 
We got it straight from the real authorities. This people building has to have two sections and we all believe that Jesus is the Messiah but we can't have Jewish believers and Gentile believers living as though they were part of the same family. If the Gentile believers wanted to be part of the real inner circle, the family of God promised to Abraham, they will have to become Jews. The men must be circumcised and all must keep the law and must do the things that Jews and Gentiles that keep them neatly separated. That's the real good news. They said, you're welcome into God's family as long as you keep the law of Moses. And when Paul heard this, despite how ill he was, he was ticked. And he wrote to them the epistle to the Galatians. Paul's opponents, N.T. Wright says, oh, he was muddled up because he was taught something was wrong. And Paul's opponents certainly were claiming that Paul taught one thing when he was with Jews and then he taught another thing when he was with Gentiles. He preached a different gospel, they said, depending on who his audience was. In other words, he didn't want to upset anybody. He was just telling people what they wanted to hear. And you can understand how angry that made Paul feel, basically calling him a liar. And he was furious. And so when he writes to the Galatians, none of this, how's it going, hope you've been well, hope the weather's doing, none of that. I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, what the heck are you doing, is how this epistle starts. I am, what's the word, I am astonished, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Christ, and what he has offered you to go after this other gospel which Paul says verse 7 and 8 it's not really another gospel because there only is one gospel the gospel of the good news that you don't have to become religious in order to be made right with God you don't have to do all these rituals and ceremonies and all of these rule keeping things in order to be forgiven you just need to surrender to Christ give your life to Christ and accept his offer of forgiveness That's what Paul says. That's it. He knows that the main protagonist behind these false teachers was probably James, the half-brother of Jesus. And what we're going to read is that he's going to set the record straight in a very bold way. Would you read with me? This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not a gospel that I adjust depending on my audience. It's not a gospel that I tell the Jews, yes, keep being a Jew, keep the law of Moses, be circumcised. Yes, of course you have to be. And to Gentiles, you don't have to do any of that. This is another gospel. Here's one for you now. Paul says, no way. I do not preach man's gospel. I do not preach a gospel that some man has done. I was taught the wrong thing. Let me tell you how I received this gospel. The Apostle Paul, he responds to his Judaizers. These are the people that want to make Gentiles Jews before they can become Christians by contrasting how they learned the gospel because they were taught in it. They were trained to believe this from the earliest age. The word is to be catechized into believing certain things. And Paul, he says, I'm not muddled. I wasn't taught the wrong thing. 
For I did not receive it, the gospel, from any man. I was not taught this at all, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And let me just pause here to say something profound. The gospel is a revelation of Jesus Christ. I told you you've got other ears. I've told you you've got other eyes. You need to see that this is not Jesus with the flimsy hair, blue eyes, sipping decaf soy lattes on the sidewalk. No, he's a real man. Because, and here's the because, and here's the light bulb moment. Not because he came and taught, not because he came and died, not because he got followers, but because he is Lord. Just let that sink in for a moment, because at the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew, he says this, All authority on earth and in where heaven has been Mostly, nearly all of it, no, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is not one micron of authority that anyone has that trumps the authority that Jesus Christ has. He is Lord. You need to surrender him to him, not so that you can go to heaven. Good grief. You need to surrender to him because he is Lord. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. There is no one greater than him. He is the one with the greatest level of authority in the universe. And if you're into multiverses, he's the one with the greatest authority in any universe. He's Lord. And we read that as if it's a religious statement. We read that as if, yeah, whatever. And even growing up, I remember hearing evangelists come through and say, Jesus might be your saviour, but now you've got to make him your Lord. Twangers. If he's not your Lord, he's not your saviour. If you haven't surrendered to him as the ultimate authority over your life, he's not your saviour. I've heard other people say, come tonight and make, 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 make Jesus your Lord. You don't make him your Lord. Even if you don't make him your Lord, he's still your Lord. He is Lord. And Paul says, I got this as a revelation. In the Greek, it's, it's, it, it has two ways to go. A revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, it was Christ. He gave it to me. Or it's a revelation of about who Jesus is. And if there's any doubt, take both. Because it's the same thing. He gave to the Apostle Paul the gospel that no man taught Paul. And so we read here that Paul says, in case you think I was learned, I learned this and this was a bit of a slow journey for me, you've got to be joking. Don't you know my story? I was a persecutor. I was dead set out to kill the church, to kill Christians. And I was doing a pretty good job of it. And then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
And you might think, well, yeah, in a dream or a vision, I'm telling you, there is a set of eyes that every human soul has that can see clearer than your eyes can, can show you what's going on. And that's what Paul used on that road to Damascus. When he saw Jesus, he saw the physical Jesus as if he could have touched him physically with his true vision. And he tells us this. I met him. Not in some wispy, dreamy, visiony thing, but I met him on the road to Damascus. And this is what he said to me. I received a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I know, ho Christos, ho Kyrios, Christ is Lord. The Christ is Lord. And I say ho Christos, ho Kyrios because the saying in southern Turkey was ho Kaiser Hokurios, the Caesar is Lord. And Paul deliberately takes that language and says, No way, Jesus is Lord. For you have heard of my former life, he tells the Galatians, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. So you're going to wonder now, well, what happened? You see, Paul says, You know, you're learned experts in the law. And the thing he's not saying immediately here is who came from James have said that they're so well taught and so well schooled in these things. But let me tell you, I was schooled in that too. I was schooled in all of the things they were schooled in. I know what they're talking about. And I know that Jesus Christ told me it's wrong. It's no longer applies. And I was advancing... He says in Judaism, beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But Paul says this, and it has echoes of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, where Jeremiah says, the reluctant Jeremiah. And we heard Ian refer to Jeremiah before. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, Jeremiah says, I was called to be a prophet to the nations. And Paul says that he too, he too was called to be a preacher of the gospel, this gospel about Jesus, before he was even conceived, just like Jeremiah was. And he says it like this, but when... He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. And if you're a Christian here, you have already had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you, you have already been called by his grace. I loved what Michael said, that when you get that, when you understand that, there is nothing that anyone can do to, to intimidate you out of standing up for Christ. And so this is why I've called this part of Paul's epistle a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we all need it. We all need a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says his gospel was grounded, verse 16, in the fact that he received grace to be a preacher and God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him. You see the connection he's just made? I preach the gospel. How do I do it? I 
preach him. You see, the gospel is not simply four spiritual laws. The gospel is about Jesus. And at the end of that gospel presentation, you get it. He's Lord. And if he's Lord, he knows what's best for you. And we are currently living in a world that preaches another gospel. In fact, it preaches multiple gospels. And it preaches gospels like this. Don't let God tell you what to do. This kind of sounds like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, by the way. You can actually have the kind of life you really crave and your God, the one, the true God, he doesn't want you to have that kind of life. He doesn't want you to be happy and fulfilled and satisfied with life. He wants to make your life miserable. I'm telling you, here's a way you can have all of that and just tell him to get lost. That was essentially the lie of the evil one in the Garden of Eden to the woman. And we have the world today saying to people into their ears, don't listen to God, don't listen to the Bible. You're actually, young lady, you're not a young lady. You're actually a man. You're just born in the wrong body. In Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? One of the saddest documentaries I've ever watched in my life. He has the story of a lady who was told that. A lady, a beautiful lady, a mother of, I think, two or three children who in her 30s, she began to get these thoughts because she was not a girly girl. She was a climbing trees kind of young girl. A hiking kind of young girl, Amanda. Jump into a minus five degree Lake St. Clair kind of girl, Amanda, you dope. And so the counsellor said, well, maybe you do all those things because you're not really a girl. Maybe you're really a man. This is in Matt Walsh's documentary. And she began to believe it. Maybe I am. I mean, I like to drink real coffee, not this skinny decaf latte soy milk rubbish. Maybe I'm a man, therefore. And then she did something strange and I had no idea what she was doing. Then she held up, she rolled up her sleeve and showed her forearm. And I thought, no idea what that's about. And what that was about was to show the scars from the flesh they took to construct male genitals for her in her gender transition. And she said, I've had nothing but trouble ever since then. And it's my biggest regret in my life that I believed a lie. Then she said this. The average gender transition person has a life expectancy of seven years after their transition surgery. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But the Lord, the Lord wants you to have life and he wants you to have it abundantly. And that's the truth. It's not a lie. You can only have the kind of life that will give you the greatest fulfillment, the greatest satisfaction by turning to Christ. And Paul says, these opponents of mine, they say I'm not really an apostle. I'm telling you, 
on that road to Damascus, when I met Jesus, he told me I was. I am an apostle. And he says this, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and went again into Damascus. And what was he doing? Christ had time to take the gospel and preach it, and so he was. Paul had been called Christ by Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and that's exactly what he did. He was sharing that gospel with whosoever. And so he was there for three years doing that, learning his craft as a preacher. And then he says this in verse 18, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is the apostle Peter, and remained with him 15 days. Now Paul did, was not looking for all of the apostles to gather around him and approve him as an apostle, because he says, my approval did not come from any man, it came directly from Christ, I don't care what anyone else says about me. Can I tell you, that's not a bad way for you to live. He didn't need their ordination or anything like that. But then he says this, now I've told you who the likely sender of the opponents to Paul was it was probably James so then he tells the Galatians but I saw he says none other apostles except James the Lord's brother he says in verse 20 in what I'm writing to you before God I do not lie now why would he have to say that because he's saying this is the one who's caused the trouble and I'm telling you, I met with him face to face and he didn't raise any of these objections to my face. And I'm not lying, he says. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, the man who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. And that's kind of my prayer, that you'll leave this place glorifying God because of what you've heard, because the truth of God's word will resonate in your soul. Paul's conversion to Christ was a dramatic conversion. He would not be the last opponent who, turned, who has turned to Christ. There are many others, even today. And I'm hearing stories of people who just two or three years ago were ardent atheists who now are Christians. It is amazing to me that the Holy Spirit is doing this work in people's lives. Paul's gospel was the message of and about Jesus Christ. It was this message that invited people to come to God through Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what Paul preached. And today we have a gospel of individualism or meism. It's all about me. You can have this. It's all about you. Paul says, no, the gospel's all about Jesus. And you might think, well, how does that help me? It's because of his great love for you that he did what he did. And we need to get that. And, and just hear me again. There will be some of you who may be I will be, maybe, at your deathbed. And in those moments, I want this to be your conviction, not just your idea. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved and made right with God because Christ has died, risen from the dead in your place. 
And he offers you complete pardon and reconciliation to God through you simply accepting that that is what he's done for you. That's called faith. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Galatians Part 3 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, the Apostle Paul was well-versed on the truth of the gospel as he received a revelation of it directly from Christ. Stopped in his tracks, Paul's life was transformed. Transformation is what the truth of the gospel does when it grips your life. More from Dr. Corbett next week as we continue in Galatians. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.